All right, welcome back to another episode of Royals Review Radio. My name is Alex Duvall. I'm your host. I am joined for the third consecutive time by Jeremy Greco. Uh, Jeremy, how's everything going for you? Pretty good. I have furniture in my apartment now, so I'm gonna I'm gonna call that a big bonus. I was gonna say last week you were moving, so you got all moved in. You're settled in. You got furniture in your apartment, not just a desk for your computer anymore. Uh, you 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 moved back to where you went to college. Are you are you liking being kind of back in a in a more of a college town or are you kind of I it's I'm I'm in Asheville so it's more the tourist area of the of the state than the uh the college area in fact they have a they have a independent league or minor league I can't remember baseball team called the Asheville tourists um that hopefully I'll I probably won't get to see them this year but hopefully next year uh but yeah it's it's gorgeous up here I've missed the mountains and and weather below 95 degrees humidity below 85 percent i was gonna say because Asheville's kind of on the eastern eastern side of the smokies right uh yeah about that gotcha tonight we are also joined by matthew lamar he is the co matt I don't, i'm gonna get your title wrong the co-editor co the site manager for royals review okay so in my contract it says deputy manager okay. uh, but that's the only place that says that okay Awesome. So Matt helps out running Royals Review with Max Reaper, who uh, is not joining us tonight. Um, gents, I want to start off. Brady Singer today made a start against the New York Yankees in his return from a rehab stint. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I really thought when they sent him down that this was not so much of a rehab stint, but more of like a go get your crap together stint. Um, go throw some change ups. Go, you know, work on your command because what you've been doing at the big league club just isn't good enough. Uh, Brady Singer today, three and two thirds innings, five earned runs, three walks, two strikeouts. He gave up 10 hits and less than four innings pitched. I was going back and I was looking at his numbers for the season and his first four starts were really good. I, I really, I mean, the first start wasn't great, but I really, I mean, we can throw the first start of any year out the window. His next three starts were really good. I remember at the end of April thinking, okay, this is what we thought we were going to get in Brady Singer. Um, an ERA under four, um, a guy who's going to work into games. He's going to be really efficient with his pitches and with his command. And that's kind of what we got from Brady Singer. Since the beginning of May, or really since April 30th, he has now made 16 starts with an ERA over 5.9. His FIP is okay. His FIP's not in the worst shape in the world. It's not good, but it's not awful. It doesn't suggest he's been as bad as he has been. His strikeouts are actually up. Now, I think that kind of goes with the game as like all of everybody's strikeouts are up, but his strikeouts are up. His walks are out of control. He's walking almost four and a half batters per nine innings pitched. Over at Royals Farm Report, every every time we did our rankings, we always had Brady Singer like third or even like some guys argued that he was the fourth best starting pitcher in that draft class. So if you don't remember in the draft class in 2018, they got Brady Singer, with their true first round pick, 18th overall. And then it's like 32nd and 33rd or 33rd and 34th or something like that. They got Jackson Coar and Daniel Lynch with comp picks. And then with another first round comp pick later on in the comp round B, they get Chris Bubich at 40th overall. I made the argument from day one that Daniel Lynch and Jackson Coar were both better than Singer. And over the course of time that you could even argue at any point in time that any of the four could be number one. 
I think pretty clearly Lynch and Coar have, have moved themselves into that role. I'm curious, Jeremy, I'll start with you. I want to I ask you about his comments he made about the changeup. He said, you know, it doesn't really matter if I throw a changeup. This was after his last big league start after the Baltimore game. He only threw two innings, gave up seven runs. It doesn't really matter if I have a third pitch if my command's off. He said just doesn't matter, and I, uh, like, wholeheartedly disagree. But give me your quick evaluation on Brady Singer's season, and, you know, is, is a mindset where, like, I'm good enough, I'm the unique one, I'm the unicorn, I can do it with two pitches, I don't need three pitches. Um, is that a troubling mindset in your opinion? It is, but first let me say that I think technically he's correct when he says that if he's got command of his two pitches, his, his two seamer and his, his slider, that he can be successful with just the two pitches. The problem is he doesn't have command of them very often. And, and that doesn't seem to be improving. I was, I I thought it was improving at the end of last year. Uh, I thought it was improving in April. Like you said, he was, he was having a lot of success, but since then he's really struggled. And I look at his, I look at his pitches aren't going where he's throwing them. Um, and, and, and to sit there and say, and this, this thing also bothers me. I wrote about this actually a little bit as far as like, what are the Royals coaches even doing? Because when he said that I said, but the coaches have just said he needs to throw the changeup. So if the coaches say he needs to, to throw it, then what is he has no business publicly saying, I don't need to throw it. That's just like, that's just asking for trouble. And, and that kind of mindset bothers me. I know a lot of people are also bothered by, as we're talking about mindsets that's popped into my head, are bothered by like the, how angry he gets sometimes on the mound. That doesn't bother me as much because I feel like there can be a positive way to channel that. But when you're just flat out, having a public argument with your manager, I don't feel like that's a good place to go. Matt. Yeah, I think there's, there's, you know, this is sort of a very fascinating uh, situation here because we are having uh, basically Brady Singer's first time, probably since he was in high school um, where he is struggling, like legit struggling. Um, So I think that, um, you know, you, you need to give him maybe a little bit of leeway here because he's, he's, you know, a lot of these like really good top picks, they just never struggle. They just so, soar through high school. They soar through college. You know, Singer was a star as a Florida Gator. Um, he hit the ground running and, you know, the minors, he had a couple of rough starts, but you know, he was, he was good in the minors in both double A or high A and double A. Uh, he was, you know, it's pretty good last year. This is the first time that he's going through these kind of struggles. And I think um, almost the more interesting thing is what, what happens next year after an off season, which he has to work on it. Um, I will say that, you know, you you mentioned that his FIP is okay. I do think that a little of this is due to bad luck. So if you take a look at his batting average um, on balls in play um, at each of the four, basically levels of his uh, professional career at high A in 19 at double A in 20 or at, at double A in 19, and here in the majors in both 20 and 21, he's running the highest batting average of balls in play of those four stops. 
He's also running the lowest uh, left on base percentage. Um, and those two are, you know, somewhat due to his command. Obviously, if you leave a cookie in the middle of the plate, um, hitters are going to hit it and they're going to hit it for higher average. But those uh, those two are traditionally more tied to uh, luck. Um, and I do think that he is being not good, but also he is being unlucky. And I think that once those sort of stabilize to what uh, he has run more often uh, as a professional, I think some of this is going to fix itself without a lot of significant improvements. But I think the, the thing to note for 2022 is if it continues to happen, at what point do the Royals start to think to themselves, hey, you know what, maybe Brady Singer could be, you know, a really great bullpen guy because they only have so many, you know, pitching spots. Um, and if you think now they've got Keller, they've got Hernandez now, right? They've got um, Bubich and they've got uh, Lynch. Oh, and Coar is going to be coming up. And then they also have Brad Keller. And what if they get, you know, Lacey at some point next year? There's a lot of starting pitchers. And at some point there might not be room for a guy who's not performing you know, the best or who's clearly underperforming. So I think that's going to be really interesting to, um, to keep an eye on. I'm going to write about this, um, uh, about the value of, of Singer as, as even a bad starter versus a good reliever. And that's really the catch is that even a mediocre starting pitcher is going to be better than a good reliever. So you're going to want to try to keep Singer there as much as often uh, and as much as you can. But at some point, he may just force the issues through poor performance. Um, but we'll, we'll really sort of see what happens after those sort of luck statistics stabilize a little bit, I think, before that decision can really be made. I was, I was thinking about this the other day, and I, and I kind of relate it to like, not, not exactly to gambling, but hear me out. As we kind of segue into more of talking about the younger pitchers in general, if you have a formula that you use for gambling, a strategy that you use for blackjack, whether it's um, you have a, an algorithm you write for betting on football or baseball or whatever, you can't use that formula only when you feel like is a good time. Because if you do that, then you are – inherently going to miss on some wins you're going to bet on some losses and you're going to end up cheating your own algorithm because you didn't bet on a certain amount of wins so what the royals did in 2018 is they gambled on college pitching they gambled that if they draft eight college arms with their first 10 picks or whatever it wound up being that two or three will wind up being big league starters and I think sometimes when we look at this, and myself personally, I was, by the way, up until like the beginning of June, I was a staunch Brady Singer defender. And really, even through his start against Baltimore, I was kind of like, you know what, whatever. Like, it was his comments after the Baltimore game that, that really, really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But when you gamble on, those, on that college pitching class, you have to be willing to accept that it could be Maybe your two starters are Jonathan Bolin and Austin Cox. Maybe Lynch, Bubich, Coar, and Singer are all destined for the bullpen. But if you get four big league relievers and two starters out of that draft class, it is an inherent success. So Daniel Lynch looks like he's making his case to stay in the rotation. And the rest of this group is kind of on the fence of when the Royals are ready to compete again, will they be in the rotation or in the bullpen? Um, for Brady Singer, 
I think it's, it's more for me, it's not necessarily the performance. And I do, I am a little bit down on the performance. I'm a little concerned about the performance. It's more about the mentality. Like I have never in my life. Well, okay. I shouldn't say never, but ever since I've, you know, gotten a little bit older and as I get more and more wise, as I get a little bit older, I try to, I try to think that if I am failing at something miserably, that I'm going to do whatever it takes to fix it. You know, it's, it's trying to continuously pound um, a square peg in a round hole or, you know, beating a dead horse, whatever, but it's the definition of insanity. It's trying the same thing over and over and expecting the same results. It's almost the unwillingness to adapt that is worrying me with Singer more than it is the performance. Um, Daniel Lynch comes up to the big leagues. Maybe he's tipping his pitches. Maybe he's not. He goes to Omaha. He corrects some things. He's been fantastic. Carlos Hernandez the other night, they asked him to throw more change-ups, and he just started throwing them. said, okay, here it is, boys. See if you can hit this. And look, it was really good. They asked Carlos Hernandez to ditch his slider a little bit in favor of a curveball. Curveball looks really good. Jackson Kowar goes to Omaha. They say, hey, ditch the curveball, try a slider. We've seen him throw sliders in games and be really effective all of a sudden. I just wonder with Brady Singer, it's like, what makes you think you're so special that you don't have to do the other things necessary that other big league pitchers have to do? So um, I want to move on to some of the other of the, of the other young pitchers, and we can kind of reference Brady Singer as we go back. But speaking of Carlos Hernandez, he has impressed me more in his last three starts than I have ever been impressed with him in his professional career. And I watched a lot of Carlos Hernandez in the minor leagues. I never thought he'd be a big league starter. It was obvious they were going to let him try. I just didn't think he would stick and in any kind of a competitive season have a chance to be a big league starter. I didn't think the fastball was good enough. Like, obviously he throws it hard, but I didn't think the the overall profile was good enough. I didn't think that his changeup was going to be good enough long term. The breaking pitch has obviously always been very good, but I really just thought he would be he would excel in the bullpen. Um, Matt, we'll start with you this time. Are you on board with what you've seen from Carlos Hernandez last three starts? Or are you kind of still, you know, hesitant, maybe still leaning bullpen for him? Well, I, so here's the thing with Carlos Hernandez. I was probably one of the biggest critics of him, um, even going back to last year, um, because the Royals called him up and they, I mean, they needed someone to fill some innings and they weren't going anywhere. So it was not the worst thing in the world, but I thought it was really curious that they called up him like straight from Lexington, I believe from low a ball. Um, and that's just a wild jump. And then they started relying on him and it was just, it was just nuts. And it was just like, he clearly was not, you know, ready. He clearly was not ready. He was not very good. And then they kept doing it. And then this year, earlier this year, um, up, you know, through July, um, he had, um, an ERA, um, you know, over six, most of the time. Um, and I was a pretty big critic of him. And to, to me, it just sort of screamed Jorge Lopez and Brandon Maurer in that, he was a guy who was kind of a tweener. You could start him, but you could relieve him. But, you know, he didn't really have the full picks, pitch mix as a starter, but you could put him there and try to, you know, get some stuff out of it. But maybe he's a reliever, you know, so there's that. And then there's the other thing that he throws hard, but he throws straight and he's got good breaking stuff, but he just kind of can't command it. Um, and so for, I was really, you know, really critical of him. And I, th- I think, you know, putting him back in the minors and seeing, you know, some, 
uh, some additional development was the right move. But ultimately, I didn't really think that he had, um, you know, the upside to it. And I certainly did not think that he could have a run the last three starts that he has had, because just all of a sudden, just boom, just like that, he's cut his walks, his strikeouts are lower too, but guess what? He's just commanding everything. It's like he freaky Friday with someone else. It's, it's just really weird. I never thought that he could do it. And um, just how he's been able to do it by limiting walks so much when that's really been his Achilles heel so far as a professional um, and still getting the results, even though he's not getting his uh, strikeouts as much as he was before. That's, that's just wild to me. And I think that, uh, you know, three stars or three starts. You can look at anybody's career from Sidney Ponson to Zach Granke and everywhere in between to find three good consecutive starts for a guy with a long enough career. But the context of these starts uh, and how he's able to uh, pitch in these starts uh, leads me to maybe believe that he might have a future as a starter um, potentially, certainly as much of a future option as some of these other guys. Um, and I, I did not think that was the case and, you know, begrudgingly, it seems like the Royals had the right move and sticking with him, um, with the obvious caveat that he's got to continue doing this and that a six ERA plus pitcher is, you know, not going to do anything, but we'll really see, can, can he stick with it? Um, if he can, he's going to be a, you know, a big, you know, a big guy, uh, literally and in their rotation. You mentioned the context of, of how it looks, not just the results, I would even argue that it's not necessarily just the context of how he looks in a vacuum. It's more about how he looks compared to how he looked before. It's again, it's the willingness. I don't want to just continue to hammer on Brady Singer, but it's the willingness to go. You want me to do what? Okay. I'm willing to try it. I'm not having success. I would like to have success. So I'm going to do something a little bit different here. Uh, Jeremy, are you echoing the same optimism that we are about Carlos Hernandez's, you know, brief run of success or are you still thinking that the other shoe's going to drop and that maybe whatever he's done is is not sustainable for xyz i I, i'm pretty much right there with you guys um i jorge lopez really burned me because i thought he he was going to have something i looked at that stuff i looked at that curveball and I thought, man, this guy is going to be something. And then he had that almost no hitter against the the twins. And I was like, oh, yeah. And then, you know, obviously he's he's terrible. He's gone to Baltimore. He's still terrible. Um, and so Carlos Hernandez comes up and it's like, oh, he's got the stuff. And then I just watched him just get shelled all through September last year. Just didn't look he looked like everybody knew what was coming and I was done with him. Then I said, I have been through this already more than a few times, more than just Jorge Lopez. Uh, I'm, I'm ready to move on. And then they put him on the, the opening day roster as a reliever. And I was, I was really questioning that. I was like, what are we doing? Where, where's Richard Lovelady? And it turns out he was hurt, but you know, I sure seemed like there should have been a better option and he didn't stay on the roster for very long. Uh, so I guess they also thought that eventually, but yeah, these last three starts, he, he's really shown me something. And, and the, the thing that I really like is, is that he's not striking people out because we've seen that he can, he can absolutely strike people out, but he's still having success even when he's not striking people out these last three starts. And he's got that, that whip under one, he's allowing fewer than one base runner per inning. 
that's a ticket to success every time. If they can only get one base runner, it's going to be really hard to score runs. So, uh, you know, the uh, I, I just kind of think the strikeouts are going to come back eventually. And, uh, and, and yeah, we could be looking at the beginning of a really uh, interesting career. It could also completely fall apart on us. We, like I said, we saw this with Jorge Lopez had a little bit of success uh, right after the Royals got him, but uh, I'm hoping because it would be, it would be nice to, to have somebody show up who wasn't a big prospect and really just, and, and be really good for ones. Um, Cause I feel like, the Royals have so many top prospects that show up and they're, they're good or they're bad, never great. And then none of their guys that aren't top prospects ever turn into anything. So it'd be nice to have a surprise for once. Yeah. And I think the, the thing with Carlos Hernandez specifically, and then we'll, because it, it sort of relates to Daniel Lynch as well is the thing that's got me bought in is his fastball. His fastball actually looks really good. And I can't remember if it was – who did he strike out the other night? He pitched against the Yankees, right? Did he pitch against the Yankees the other night? Yeah, his, his uh, on August 9th. Yeah. yeah. I think it was Joey Gallo. I'd have to go back and look. He threw like a 97-mile-an-hour fastball to Joey Gallo that was at the bottom of the zone but right center cut of the plate. And Joey Gallo, I think it struck him out looking. And I just remember thinking, I have never seen him put a fastball by someone that – didn't have a good cut at it or didn't know it was coming or what have you. And Joey Gallo, if, I, if I'm remembering the at-bat correctly, looked totally stunned and helpless against his fastball. And I remember thinking, man, that is different. Like, I've never seen that from Carlos Hernandez before. Similar to Daniel Lynch. Daniel Lynch's fastball, if there was anything that was going to hold him back from being a star, like I still think Daniel Lynch is going to be really good. I've, I've really always thought Daniel Lynch would be really good, but the really, the one thing that was going to hold him back from being a star, in my opinion, was the fastball. Like it was good. He threw it kind of hard. It just didn't have the repertoire, the whole framework that you would like in an elite fastball. I don't think I've changed my tune on that a little bit. I think as he's thrown his change up more and more and more, his fastball is starting to play up a tick, and I'm really excited about Daniel Lynch. Daniel Lynch was so bad in those first couple starts. Well, not, not the first one, but the second and third start he had in the big leagues. He threw a combined 3.1 innings, gave up 12 runs, 11 earned, only had four strikeouts. He only walked one in that time, but he looked really really bad in that start against the White Sox. And then he got blown up in the third inning against the Tigers, I think. Um, he comes back from Omaha. And by the way, in Omaha, Daniel Lynch did not have, like, overwhelming amounts of success. He was pretty good. His strikeout-to-walk ratio was in good shape. His, he wasn't walking very many batters. But he just didn't – like, he wasn't dominating the way Jackson Coar is. So when they brought him back up, it felt rushed. Like, it felt like, hey, we need an arm. And Daniel Lynch just happens to be scheduled to pitch today. Eight shutout innings against Detroit. Um, since his return to the Kansas City rotation, Daniel Lynch has an ERA of 2.66 in 23 innings, and that looks legit. Like everything that Daniel Lynch has done so far has been really, really um, – what's the word? Um, it's been really promising, I guess. It's been sustainable. Really promising, su- sustainable. It's 
I think this is what Daniel Lynch is as advertised. And I even think there's another gear. I still think Daniel Lynch could be a guy who posts an ERA of 2.9 with a fifth in the 3.5 range um, across like 200 big league innings. He is really, really good. And by the way, I think it speaks to his long-term outlook that the Royals aren't really watching his pitch count at all. In fact, they've been, I think it was spring. There was a spring training outing. Daniel Lynch had thrown like, like 70 or 80 pitches and they left him in, in a really tight spot. And I just remember thinking, man, they are not concerned at all about this kid health wise. And they run out their eight innings against Detroit. Uh, he's thrown pretty sure hundred pitches. I'm looking for that number. Pretty sure he's thrown hundred pitches in each of his outings so far back in the big leagues. It just makes me wonder if, you know, the biomechanics of Daniel Lynch have come back really positive and they think he's going to be able to stay healthy long-term. I don't know. I'm just speculating there, but I think it speaks to what the organization thinks of him, that they allow him to go out and battle. Um, And, you know, we had him as our number two prospect, so I'm not overly surprised, but I am really, really excited about what I've seen from Lynch and his return to Omaha. Yeah, he's got um, sort of unlike his competitors, each of his, well, not his competitors, but each of like the top four draftees in that 2018 draft you can kind of point at something and be like, Oh, okay. You know um, whether that's performance or pitching related, you know, um, Coar obviously when he came up to the big leagues, you know, I, I don't know, he had the yips or whatever Simone Biles had in the Olympics. I, I, I don't know. Cause he's, he's clearly better than that, but um, you know, he has been sort of uh, criticized for a straight fastball that doesn't perform up to, you know, his um, the velocity, um, singers obviously got the changeup issue, which is a thing now. Um, Chris Bubich, um, you know, his fastball velocity isn't generally good enough um, to work with his changeup um, if he doesn't have the command, uh, and he he kind of hasn't shown that so far. Um, you know, clearly the 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 formation of a good pitcher is there, but he has just not had the command to make it work, um, and he doesn't have the fastball to blow it by people. Lynch sort of has everything, right? He's got the breaking pitch that he can control. He's got the fastball uh, that is really good velocity for a left-handed starting pitcher. Um, and he got, he's got a really good changeup. So it's like, you know, he's got uh, Bubich's changeup was like Singer's fastball. And, you know, it's just like, it's just like a mashup of uh, a best of hits really. Um, and when, when I watched uh, his eight inning start, I remember thinking to myself, man, that changeup is really good. I was not expecting that. Um, and so, you know, obviously I think you, know, you, you were right to put him so highly in that he's really the only one of those four that has the total package. The other three have something that you can criticize um, but Lynch sort of has it all. And if he's got it all clicking, he's going to be pretty good. You mentioned Bubich in there. Um, what did, what were his, I can't remember what he said exactly after his last start, like, screw it. I'm going to let it fly about his fastball. I, yeah. I tweeted about this earlier in the year that last year we saw, we saw Chris Bubich flash like 96 and maybe even 97, if I'm not mistaken, I think he hit 97 one time against Anthony Rizzo or Chris Bryant and a start against the Cubs correct me if I'm wrong, but we saw the flash. Like we don't expect Chris Bubich to pitch there, but the ability to go get that will keep guys on their heels. It it just, it is going to, because they have to respect it when they get down to two strikes, which like you hinted at helps the change up. 
we saw Chris Bubich not lose a lot of velocity this year. Like his average velocity was in great shape for most of the year, but I tweeted out that he has not shown any flashes 94 or above. Like he's pretty much just solely pitching 92, 93. And it's like, that's fine. Um, and by the way, lower a lot of times too the 92, 93. It's like, that's fine. It's not great, but it's fine. It's just, where is the flash? Where is the fastball at? Like, what are we trying to aim everything? Is that why we're having control issues? Are you just, are you so scared to leave the ball in the middle of the plate that you're not willing to reach back and go get it? Um, but in that last start he made, who did he make his last start against? The last start he made against the St. Louis Cardinals, um, not the best start he ever made, but I think we saw from the, the development from the second, so we, his last three starts, Chicago, Chicago, St. Louis. The second White Sox start into the St. Louis start, we started to see that fastball flash a little better. Uh, and over those over his last uh, math 16.2 innings pitched he's only allowed six earned runs um, with 15 strikeouts so I'm even kind of optimistic about where his future is but I think with Chris Bubich you kind of always knew that if he's going to be a big league starter he's going to be the fourth or fifth guy at best in a really good rotation and maybe the fifth guy in an average rotation on a contending team um, but I was happy to see like Again, it's not necessarily the results. It's the it's the comments. It's like, man, my fastball ain't working. I'm gonna let it fly. Screw it. Here goes something different. That I keep coming back to the Brady Singer comments, but with Lynch's adjustments, Carlos Hernandez, Chris Bubich, I'm I'm optimistic about the the approach changing and, and just trying different things to make it work. So um yeah, so I again I'm I'm kind of 50-50 with the young pitching and, and Jeremy, I want to get your thoughts real quick on uh, combination of Lynch and Bubich there, but outside of Brady Singer, I am really optimistic in the direction that this young pitching staff is uh, directed at. Yeah, I, at this point, I think Bubich is is the guy I have the least faith in going forward, just because, like you said, the unwillingness to make adjustments. Actually, Chris Bubich has been my favorite pitcher of the four for a long time because he's willing to make adjustments because he's willing to try new things. Um, there, there's not a lot of guys I think out there that are at the major league level are going to say, this isn't working. Like, I think most of them are going to say this isn't working, but I got to keep trying. I got to find it. I'll find it eventually. If I just keep trying, he's like, he's, he's going to be the guy who goes out there and says, this isn't working. Let's try something else. I, I got to do something. And so he, he's willing to, to make adjustments and ch- make changes quickly and and they've already talked um extensively on the broadcast about um how thoughtful and how smart he is so he's not going to make stupid decisions uh about like these abrupt changes he's gonna he's there's gonna be a reason for it and um so i i've i absolutely think i think it's right to say that he's never going to be like a number one or number two starter um I would, I I'm thinking maybe three or four, more than four or five, but I'm probably a little bit optimistic. Uh, but yeah, I, he's the kind of guy I think is going to stick around in the big leagues for a long time because I, his, we were already seeing his velocity is not the most important factor in his success. So as he gets older and he loses that velocity, hopefully by then he'll have gained more command. You know, that's something you expect players to gain with experience. Uh, and and I, I think he could be around for a long time. And there, there's a lot of value in having 
a three, four, or even a five starter, uh, especially on his rookie deal like he is right now. But for whatever price, you know, you end up paying for an average number five starter, because I, I think this is not a well-kept secret, uh, depending on who you ask, but there, there aren't five major league quality starters on every team. There aren't 150 major league quality starters available at any given time. So even having like a legitimate number five starter is something it's a start. Um, and, and absolutely. If he ends up being, you know, a, a four or five and Lynch and Coar and Hernandez and, and come on and Keller figures out what's going on with him, then, you know, even when you got to send somebody like singer or whoever else into the, into the bullpen, you're still looking at some, some really exciting results for the future. I think a, a fair kind of name to throw out when you talk about Chris Bubich is Jason Vargas. And Jason Vargas, I don't know that Jason Vargas ever made an all-star game, but he served a really valuable role on, on made a one, couple of – He made one his last year with the Royals. Did he really? Had that ridiculous yeah, ERA at the beginning of the year. I didn't, I didn't remember it either. <laughs> what year was that? Yeah, it was like uh, 17 or 18 or something like that. Yeah, 17? Was... 17? Yeah. Let's look at that. what it was. Jason Vargas made an all-star game. Almost yeah, he had a, he had like a two-point something ERA in the first half of the year, and they were just like, eh, screw it. Give it to – give Vargas a, a chance. Yeah, 17. And he was still with the Royals in 17? Yeah. 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 Okay, so he made an all-star game. I don't remember that at all. But you talk <laughs> about like a thumbing lefty with a good changeup maybe makes an all-star game once or twice. I mean, there's – there's value in that. There's, you know, there's a good spot for that in a big league organization. Just knowing you got a guy that's going to go out there and give you five, six innings every day is a great thing to have. We're going to throw in an ad break really quick. On the other side of the break, we're going to talk about some hitters. So, um, again, real quick, we're going to make sure the people who pay us get paid, and then we'll talk about some hitters on the other side. All right, the, the circus that is the Edward Olivares show continued this week. I don't, Matt. Maybe did you tweet the jolt, the him getting sent down after his RBI single and the pinch hit single the other night? Was that Max? No, uh, that was that was Max, and it was. I was thinking the exact same thing that Max had the the faster thumbs, uh, so but it was prescient. If you didn't see the tweet, if you go to if you go to the Royals Review Twitter account, it was Monday. It was the it was the long game they played. So maybe that was last Tuesday night, Monday night, whatever it was. Yeah, two days. Um, Edward Olivares pinch hit single RBI single in like the 10th or 11th inning. And then Max tweets from the Royals review account. That's a nice parting gift for when, um, you know, Edward Olivares is inevitably sent down tomorrow in favor of some reliever. And I started laughing. I thought that was pretty funny. Like didn't think it was actually going to happen. Like I, it was funny. I did not think in any way that was really going to happen. And I was just dumbfounded. I was, a little, I was actually a little upset when I saw that he was sent down. Uh, was that this morning or yesterday morning? I don't get it. And like the thing with like minor league hitters, I tried to tell anyone who would listen about Frank Schwindel that this wasn't legit. Like, yes, he's tearing up AAA, but it's not going to be a thing. Everybody wanted Frank Schwindel up. Like, there are times when the minor league hitters outperform. Rudy Martin's a great case. Rudy Martin is a fantastic human being. He's having a great year. Rudy Martin is not in my mind, like a legitimate hitting prospect. Now he might have some value, some other places, but offensively he's not a legitimate prospect despite his success. 
Edward Olivares checks all of the peripheral boxes. His strikeout to walk ratio is in great shape. He doesn't run up like insane babbits. Like it's a little high, but a lot of guys who hit the ball hard in AAA and minor leagues have high babbits. It's just, you know, lesser defenders. Um, he hits for power in the minors. He doesn't strike out. He doesn't swing and miss. He's got a really good eye. He puts some of the best plate appearances together of anybody in the Royals lineup. Like he was, it was against Dallas Keuchel in Chicago. And Dallas Keuchel threw a really good, like, 0-2-1-2 changeup that just missed the bottom of the zone. And Olivares followed it all the way down, spit on it, and then wound up hitting the home run. Maybe that wasn't off Keuchel, but it wasn't the same at bat. So whatever the situation is, he puts together some great plate appearances. And it's like, I don't understand. Okay, so if they had Kyle Isbell up, and it was like Kyle Isbell, Benintendi, and Michael A. Taylor, and they weren't giving Olivares a chance, I don't think I'd make a big stink about that. Like, I, I don't know that I would be that upset. Like, I don't think Olivares is a center fielder, and I get wanting to have an elite defender in center for your young pitching. You traded for Ben Intendi, and you got Kyle Isbell. Okay, Olivares, you're the odd man out. Sorry. It's the Ryan O'Hearn thing that gets me. And I just, ugh, mm, I don't get it. I don't understand how you can watch Ryan O'Hearn and Edward Olivares play baseball and come to the conclusion that one is not substantially better than the other. Um, so I'm going to stop now and let one of you guys just have, have at it with Edward Olivares. In fact, hold on really quick. Does, do either of you want to calm me down and tell me why I'm wrong? Um, Whoever it is. Kind of. I mean, so uh, do, do, do you want to do it, Jeremy? No, go ahead. So what I was going to say is like, I, so, you know, the, the stages of grief, like I've reached acceptance right here. So I might tell you to call, call me down a little bit just because you can go to that, that acceptance thing. Um, every organization does this to some extent, but I think one of the Royals Achilles heel uh, under, under Dayton Moore is that um, they have clear favorites and clear not favorites. And again, every organization does this to some extent. And a lot of times there's a reason for this, you know. However, it can be a self-fulfilling process, a self-fulfilling prophecy at times, right? Succeeding in the big leagues is really hard. And if you're doing what, if you are Edward Alvarez right now and you're trying to do what he's trying to do right now, he's getting sent down, he's getting sent back up, he's got to you know, go to his Omaha apartment. He's got, you know, everything, you know, got to line up everything in Kansas City. He, there's, there's no, absolutely no um, rhyme or reason to where, when he's, he's in which place. Um, and it's, you know, a mental toll as well. Like he has to think, oh man, I have to do, I have to hit a home run every at bat, you know, for them to keep me up here. Like they've set the bar, That's you know, enough. impossibly high. Right. Um, and you know, we'll we'll see whether or not this this shakes out. But I think you know this has happened to the Royals enough times that this is just this is just what they do sometimes. And for whatever reason, they don't think Edward Olivares um, has a future with them, and they think that Ryan O'Hearn might have a future with them. And whether whether or not they're right is kind of a little beside the point because both are relatively equally, um, you know worthy of having a shot, especially if they're playing O'Hearn in right field. 
um, which is where all of ours would play. So in this case, it's a direct comparison. Um, but you know, they've got they've got their favorites, and they they don't have their favorites. They have the guys who they you know aren't favorites of. And I think the most recent example is sort of uh, Brett Phillips. For whatever reason, he was never you know a Royals favorite, even though you know they acquired him at trade, um, and then they shipped him off. And guess what? He's become a perfectly viable you know outfielder for for the Rays. Um, and, you know, this happens sometimes. And another time is um, Jose Martinez, who then went to the Cardinals and was, you know, had a really, really good stretch of a couple of years where he hit really well. Um, and there was just, you know, they didn't have, didn't have a spot. Yeah. Brian Goodwin's another one where, you know, he was, you know, so, so this, this happens and um, it's, it's really frustrating. I, I I'm with you. Alex, it, it's extremely frustrating because there's no really rhyme or reason to it um, that we can tell. And I personally wish that more teams would be like Chris Bubich saying, this isn't working. Screw it. I'm going to throw it as hard as I can. Right. Ah, we're not winning games. Screw it. We're going to put prospects at every position and and see how, how that works. I, if I were running a team, I would and I was losing 100 games, I would run out every like triple a guy who who was a roster a 40-man roster cut elsewhere in the organization to just plug them in just see what happens and the royals are in a perfect position to see what happens with all of ours and they're really not taking it and here's if you want predictions by the way uh i probably won't won't be max's prediction but if you want predictions my guess is all of ours doesn't get a lot of time next year either because the royals are trying to win Right. And they don't have time or space for this guy who is not a proven big, bigger trying to win. So, yeah, it's I'm with you. It's frustrating, but also I'm on the acceptance. I've seen this movie before. I know the ending. Um, I, I it's, you know, at some point in the next couple of years, they're going to trade him. He'll they'll they'll get rid of him. And whether or not he's good some elsewhere really is kind of, like I said, beside the point. But to explain their actions is for whatever reason, he's not a favorite. He's not going to get a fair shake. Um, and I think we're seeing that now, like this is the perfect season to give him a fair shake and they're choosing not to. And I want to make sure I'm clear that I don't think Edward Olivares is actually like an everyday outfielder. Like I really don't think that if you gave him 600 plate appearances that he'd be worth like two or three wins. I think he's a very, very viable bench bat and by the way he's perfect in a lot of ways in that regard because he's not going to kill you defensively like he's going to go out there he's going to be fine and he can really run and hit for some pop like jake marizic jake mariznick played this role really well on those good houston astros teams where he started in center field sometimes and and by the way olivaris is not jake mariznick defensively jake mariznick was awesome in the in the outfield come off the bench, run really fast, hit for some power, and just be a spark plug for the offense if you face a tough lefty. Like, Edward Olivares would be the perfect guy to have in the lineup next year when you face Chris Sale with Kyle Isbell in right field. Kyle Isbell comes out against the lefty, you put Edward Olivares in. I do think he has a lot of potential in that regard. And I do want to, again, it's not just that they're not playing Edward Olivares. It's who they're choosing to play ahead of him that really, really, I just don't understand. And, and knowing how the Royals treated Richard Lovelady, it just, it just makes me wonder, like, what they're demanding of players. Like, are you, 
if the players aren't patting the coaches on the backs and I don't know, man, it's just, it's such a weird occurrence of Olivares that like he's the perfect guy. Like you said, he's the perfect guy to give the plate appearances to this year and the, and the, just the unwillingness to do so really rubs me the wrong way. I'm, I really vehemently disagree with the process there. Um, Jeremy, you got any final thoughts on Olivares? Yeah. Um, the thing I've been thinking ever since I saw I got demoted was that the, there's one of two options here. And the first one is what Matthew talked about there, which is that, you know, the Royals are, they just have played, they're playing favorites or they're, they're just making decisions not based on the criteria that we expect them to use. And the other, the other option is that the Royals know something we don't know. Um, and that's always a possibility, but when it comes to the Kansas city Royals, I've just stopped believing in the Royals know something we don't know when they choose a Lucas Duda over a Brian Goodwin and not that Brian Goodwin has been good. Really? He's been like a fourth outfielder, but, a fourth outfielder is more valuable than Lucas Duda was. Uh, I, he, when you make those kinds of choices, you kind of uh, eliminate, uh, you know, the the room for doubt. Like there, I I don't doubt myself when I when I disagree with the Royals anymore because I go I I would not have made that choice. That choice didn't make sense then. It doesn't make sense now. And the only thing I can say about why they're choosing to play Dozier and O'Hearn over Oliveris is I was just looking at their hard hit stats and their exit velocities and O'Hearn and Dozier have higher exit velocities, average exit velocities. They have a higher percentage of hard hit balls. Um, One thing that caught my eye is Oliveris. I think his last two home runs were both under a hundred on the exit velocity and wall scrapers. So there's something to be said for like, don't buy into those home runs. They don't mean anything because they're, they were kind of flukes. The, what you're looking for is that exit velocity. Usually Um, the exit velocity has not helped O'Hearn and Dozier to be, you know, productive hitters this year, but um, I can, I can understand that thought process. However, I agree with you. I actually am am happy to keep O'Hearn up and and playing right now because I feel like he's had some level of success the past couple of months, um, and he's he's playing right field and and you know given a different look. I if it if I was in charge of the Kansas City Royals, I would have demoted uh, Hunter Dozier. He's still got options left. I know you gave him a big deal, but he's got options left demote him let him get his crap together in triple a and 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 like you we've all said give Olivares a chance to to prove that he is who you think he is or you know to prove that he could be somebody better um it's not likely he's a starting outfielder but there's no harm in trying right now and they're not you're not gaining anything by putting Hunter Dozier in the lineup every day. You're just not. I think there is something for Ryan O'Hearn hitting big league pitching right this second. 
but there's nothing for Hunter Dozier. And you could come back to me in a couple weeks and I could say there's nothing for for Ryan O'Hearn to be doing up here right now too. Um, so yeah, I it's it is just absolutely driving me insane. And I know there the other thing is that they're they're playing Emmanuel Rivera at third base right now. Um, and that's great, you know, fine. But they had Kelvin Gutierrez up here doing nothing. And he was he was just wasting a roster spot, hitting everything into the ground for for months, and they could have had Olivares up then, and, and they've just continued to give guy some guys chances, and not other guys. And and like Matt said, I the the only thing that really makes sense is well that's their favorite. They've decided he's going to succeed regardless of what any results will tell you, and they just keep trying it uh, uh until they run out of of options to do it yeah i um <clears throat> i could go on about this for a long time and there's some there are some circumstances there are some things that you know i understand um and like i said i don't think that edward olivares is a star i don't think he's going to be even really that good but i do think it's important to let a guy like him have a whole bunch of at bats this year or it would have been nice to have let him have a bunch of the bats this year. That way next year, when you're trying to contend, he can be a semi-experienced bench bat for you um, in a, in a, maybe a more contentious year. It, it, the, the personnel is interesting to me. I love Emmanuel Rivera. I think he's a great bench infielder to, to roll out there at third basic on occasion. Love him. Really, I don't have an issue with anything they're doing with Olivares except for the fact that now you're running Ryan O'Hearn out there in right field every day. And before that, like you said, it was Kelvin Gutierrez. Like, there are clearly options worse than him. Unless they're trying to manipulate his service time, they're just I, – I just – I don't know. So, we'll move on from that because, like I said, I could go all night. As we wrap up here, I want to kind of hit on a couple guys in the minors really quick. Bobby Witt Jr., is just destroying AAA pitching. I hinted at it before he was – right as he was called up to AAA that he might actually be better at AAA because looking at the two leagues this year, most of the real pitching prospects are in AA. And in AAA seems to be more of like big league depth this year. Like Jackson Coar has been by far, or at least last time I looked, was by far the best sub-24, sub-25-year-old pitcher in AAA. And Jackson Coar is really good, but like there's not a lot of pitching prospects in AAA right now because they're all either in double A or with the big league clubs. Um, so I really thought that there was a chance. And he goes up, he's his WRC plus is 14 points higher than it was at double A. His strikeout rate is down four percent. His walk rate is right around the same. His ISO is up 80 points. His batting average on balls in play is down, and he's still been more productive hitter, hitting for way more power. This kid's really good. He's coming soon. I can't wait, man. I think an infield at some in some capacity of Bobby Witt Jr., some combination of Mondesi and Lopez and Whit Merrifield and Nick Prado is going to be one of the most elite defensive infields we've seen in a while. Can't wait for that. Another guy I want to talk about really quick. Man, I, I like Seren Petro a lot. Seren Petro on 810 the other day, like suggested – Moving on from Kyle Isbell, um, I, I tweeted a picture out over at Royals Farm Report with it was like it was Melendez, Prado, Witt Jr., and Isbell in the Royals outfield, like at the K. And people were like, "Oh, you shouldn't have had Isbell in there." 
Over his last 163 plate appearances, Kyle Isbell has an on-base over 400 and a weighted runs created plus over 130. Kyle Isbell, to me, I put a comp on him with like David DeJesus earlier in the year. Their playing styles aren't so similar. Um, but like in terms of overall value, I think he and David DeJesus could have really similar value where like a very consistent two-and-a-half to four-and-a-half win player on base a ton, hits, you know, 15 home runs, steals 15 bags, and is just a really, really good defender in the outfield so long as he's not playing center. But you put Kyle Isbell left or right, I think he's borderline gold glover. Put him in center, I think he's, uh, you know, going to handle himself. He just doesn't have the top-end speed, I don't think, to handle the K. Um, I just – I don't want fans to give up on Kyle Isbell because he struggled at the early – part of the season like he is really talented and I really think that once he gets back to the big leagues and gets his feet under him he's going to be your everyday right fielder or your everyday left fielder depending on where they decide to put him so um, a couple guys to be excited about they're coming fast um, and I really think they're going to complete what this Kansas City team looks like and then Nick Prado obviously when Santana's done so um, a lot of things to be excited about the young pitching the bats are coming it may take another year or two, but this team's going to look a lot different when these guys get here. Um, Jeremy, any final thoughts? Uh, I, I just, I still feel like this team is closer to 2013 than it is to 2005. Um, and, and that might be the uh, Royal blue goggles. It might be, I, I, part of the problem is that they're a little old, uh, to pull off a 2013, but I feel like they've got a bunch of guys who are right on the cusp, like you're talking about, um, uh, of coming up. Whereas, so maybe it's more like 2011, 2012, where they got to get guys up and get them ready to go. But I, I'm going to cross my fingers that they'll all come up and be immediately successful um, with the Bobby Witt and the Nick Prado, the MJ Melendez, and uh, the Kyle Isbell. I 100% agree with you, Kyle Isbell. Um, don't it's way too early to give up on him. He's he's got he's got the tools. He's been promoted aggressively through the minor leagues. There's there's just no reason to to move on from him. Um, and it's it's not like he's he's wasting a roster spot somewhere or 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 doing anything that is taking away from anyone else in any capacity i just can't even fathom why you would want to move on from him for any reason right now that just doesn't that doesn't even make any kind of sense to me matt final thoughts uh my hot take on wit is that he's ready now my hotter take on wit is that he was ready a month ago um you can look at the stats but um, just watch, sort of watching him play. Like there are some, you know, this, this sounds just so, you know, wishy-washy and not analytical and not analytical at all. But, but I think it's true. There's some players you watch, you're like, oh, okay, they're, they're good. They're good. And the stats in Witt's case back him up. But I think just watching, watching him play and watching what kinds of pitch, what he does to certain kinds of pitches um, and the stuff that he does on defense too. He's, he's ready. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think Isbell, I think has to prove it maybe a little bit more. I think he can maybe be a league average guy, maybe not quite as good as DeJesus. Um, just cause I feel like he doesn't quite have the speed that DeJesus did. did. I think he was, uh, DeJesus was, was kind of sneaky fast. Um, but I, you know, I like Isbell. Um, I think, you know, to Jeremy's point, 
I think the Royals are not going to be good next year. I think they're going to have a losing record. However, um, there is a small chance that it could click together real, real quick, right? I think you could make a argument that Witt and Prado should be up now. Um, you could make an argument that Melendez could be up for September roster expansions, you know, if he continues to hit at Triple uh, A, and this is his first game. As we speak, they're playing their their first game, so you know we'll have to wait for him a little bit. But Isbell could come back up. Olivares could come back up and be a you know a decent bench guy. Maybe you know the Royals could have a really big roster overhaul. You know, compared to the beginning of the season, um, you know their opening day roster this year could look completely different to their you know May first roster next year. And I think that is the most exciting thing. And and it's going to be replaced by all like legit prospects like Melendez and Prado and Witt are all top hundred prospects. Uh, so is Kowar. So is Lynch, you know, those guys are all top hundred prospects. Um, and, you know, it, it'll be interesting. And that's really when the, when the, the fun begins uh, to quote Anakin Skywalker in episode one, the Phantom Menace. I like it. I'm excited. Um, again, maybe it's royal blue colored goggles, but I'm excited. Um, I wish they'd I wish they'd trim the fat a little bit at the big league club, but I get it. And especially that they people keep making the point about the CBA that if you add them to the 40 now and the season ends, and then next year there's work stoppage, you lose a year of service time while it's all going on, and maybe you lose a year of service time in the new CBA, like I get it. The Royals, I mean, let's be honest, the Royals probably aren't going to be able to pay Bobby Witt Jr. in six years, seven years. So I get it. I get why you'd be hesitant to do that if you thought the CBA was going to get overhauled. Um, But short of that, I really think we're going to see him in the big leagues here in the next week or so. What next couple weeks? Um, Are we getting close to September? Is it three weeks away? Whatever September is, I think we're going to see him maybe before September, but definitely by September because – He's too good. And I think it would be a great thing to get his feet wet before next year. So um, that's all the time we got for tonight. We will be back sometime next week. Um, Hopefully the Royals have done some exciting things. It's, you know, it's kind of monotonous to talk about a big league club that's this bad and refuses to play some of their most exciting young players, but um, we'll give it another whirl next week. So thanks for joining us and make sure you keep in, keep an eye on for our next episode. Uh, Again, sometime next week. Thanks.